All right, we'll jump right into the psalm then. So today we're going to read from Psalm 132. Psalm 132 is a song of ascent. It says, Remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all the hardships he endured. How he swore to the Lord and vowed to, my, to the mighty one of Jacob. I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Behold, we heard of it in Ephrathah. We found it in the fields of Jair. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness, and let your saints shout for joy. For the sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation, and her saints will shout for joy. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. This is the God we've come to worship today. We'll do that uh, through some singing, but first let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together. I see the works of your hands. Galaxies spinning a heavenly dance. Oh God, all that you are.
glory pour out your power in love as we sing holy 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 i want to see to see you. Holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. I want to see you. I want to see you. To see Sin defeated. 
Morning. Now is the time in the service for communion. If this is your first time here, we're happy to have you. And if you're a baptized believer in Christ, we invite you to partake in communion with us. Today we'll be reading from Proverbs 9, 1 through 6. Wisdom built her house, and she supported it with seven pillars. She offered her sacrifices. She mixed her wine in a bowl and prepared her table. She sent her servants, inviting people to the bowl with the lofty proclamation, saying, He who is without discernment, let him turn aside to me. And to those in need of discernment, she says, Come, eat my bread and drink the wine I have mixed for you. 
Forsake lack of discernment and you shall live. Seek discernment so you may live and keep straight your understanding with knowledge. Wisdom in this passage is Christ. The house in verse 1 is the church as a whole. In verse 2, the wine represents Christ's blood and the table represents the Lord's Supper or Eucharist as some people call it. Both of which are prepared for sacrifice. In verse 3, Christ sends his servants to invite people to join him at the Lord's Supper, which we do every Sunday. In verse 5, he tells us to eat of his bread, which is his body, and drink of his wine, which he has mixed. This is his blood. In your communion package you've received, you should have a wafer and the juice. The wafer is his body, and the juice is his blood. If we come to his communion table and have communion and eat the bread and drink the wine, then he tells us in verse 6, two different times, we will live. Which he also says in John six fifty seven that whoever feeds on him will live because of him. So when you take communion, don't just go through the motions. Eat and drink the bread in remembrance for, of what he did so that we can live. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for bringing us here today. Thank you for offering your body and bread as sacrifices for us so that we may live forever. Help us not to take this communion. Um, Let us do it and always in remembrance of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Um, This morning, uh, we got some announcements for you. Uh, In the lobby, we have two bins. One of them is for pill bottle collection. Um, These go to Matthew 25 Ministries, and they use them for all um, sorts of things, for recycling um, and for use in other countries. So any pill bottles that you have, please place them in the bin. And the other bin is for used ink cartridges, which help for the church to um, save on their cost of office supplies.
uh, Thursday. So the food pantry happens here on Thursday evenings from 5 to 7, and they serve people in the Goshen community by providing them not only with food and clothing, but also with love and just being able to reach out to them and be a friendly face in the community is so important. So if you've never volunteered, we encourage you to stop by, see what it's like. Um, if you want to donate some items to the food pantry, there's a list there of some things that they could use. Um, and if you have anything to donate today on Sundays or on Thursdays are the best times to do that. Refit dance fitness class. Everybody, get a whoop whoop. So I heard Carol did a really good job announcing that last week and making you do um, some interactive. Um, but we come here in the sanctuary and we do movement to music and it's just a great time to um, hear the words of the songs is like worshiping while you're working out and it's just a really great time. And um, if you have any questions about that, you can see me because I lead that class and it is just so much fun. Um, the Empty Nesters have, at the beginning of the year, started reading this book, The Women of the Bible, and they will be meeting this Thursday for their first in-person discussion on Potiphar's wife. That will be 10 o'clock on Thursday at Ruth Liming's house, and if you have any questions about that, um, you can contact Sharon. Next Sunday is the breakfast downstairs before church. We bring in a really delicious table full of food for you. So um, Carol is in charge of organizing that. And if you'd like to donate something or you have questions about it, um, you can contact Carol Hankins. Um, but we just get together. It's a great time to fellowship before church, to meet new people, and to eat good food. And Saturday, um, March 4th, that's this coming Saturday, um, the youth will be taking their trip to Perfect North for some snow tubing. Today is the last day to sign up for that. So if you've been um, kind of going back and forth about whether you want to go, today is the decision because we need to make sure that the waivers are filled out. Um, so there is a sign-up sheet back on the welcome table, and Amy would be able to answer any questions that you might have about that. Um, four ways to give, in person, in the back, online, there's a text option, and also in the Faith Life app. So um, thank you for the giving that you um, support Heartland Church every week and every month. So today we're going to be in Colossians, Colossians chapter 3. So let's turn together in our Bibles to Colossians 3. And so we're going to read verses 9 through 14. Colossians 9, sorry, Colossians 3, 9 through 14. When you find that in your Bible, please stand for the reading of God's Word. And the title of today's teaching is Putting on Our Church Clothes. Putting on Our Church Clothes. <laughs> In Colossians 3, 9 and 14, the scriptures say, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Now, did you know that the Lord wants every member of the church to wear the same clothes? 
Now, whether we're men or women, boys or girls, the Lord wants every member of his church to wear the same clothes. Now, we're going to find out what that means as we talk about putting on our church clothes. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for everything you do for us. Thank you for this time to gather around your word. We ask you to illuminate our hearts with your divine wisdom. Open the eyes of our minds to understand the teachings of your word. And give us a love of your commandments. And give us the grace to put the things we hear into practice. In your name we pray. Amen. So notice in Colossians 3, 9, Paul says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Now, the Christian life has at least two stages. The first stage is our entrance into this new life. The second, the second stage is how we live out the new life. Now, we enter this new life through water and the Spirit. We're, when we're baptized into Christ, we're born again, and we take off or strip off the old Adam, the old person we were outside of Christ, and we put on the new Adam when we put on Christ. We burst up out of the watery womb of baptism into a brand new life. And the second stage of the Christian life is where we learn to dress, dress properly by putting on our Church clothes, clothing ourselves with the character qualities of Christ. So I wasn't talking about physical clothing, obviously. We're talking about clothing ourselves with the character qualities of Christ. Now, the first stage happens only one time. So we take off the old man and put on the new man only once in our baptism. The second stage is something we must do every single day. Just like we take up our cross daily to follow Jesus, just like we put on the full armor of God daily to follow Jesus, we must also put on the character qualities of the new humanity daily to follow Jesus. The second, second stage of our, I can't say that for some reason, the second stage of our Christian walk, learning to live with a new understanding, learning to live with a renewed, let me start this again. The second stage of our Christian walk is us learning to live with a new understanding, with a renewed knowledge of who we are in Christ. So many, so many of us get stuck in that first stage where we think it's all just about being born again. It's not just that. If we're born again, we need to learn to live out this new life that we have in Christ. Now, one of the biggest areas where our knowledge needs to be renewed is in how we look at and relate to the world around us. As Paul says in Colossians 3.11, Here, and he's talking about in Christ, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. The race, social status, education level, nationality, those are the things the world uses to judge the worth and the worthiness of the people around them. But all those things are absolutely meaningless when we're connected to Christ. Because Christ came to create something totally new. Since Christ came, there are only two categories, two races of people on this earth. There are those who belong to the sinful, fallen race of the first Adam, those who have not put off the old self with its practices, and there are those who belong to the renewed, righteous race of the last Adam, those who have put on the new self, who have put on Christ, and are becoming like God in Christ. 
Paul says when we put on the new self, when we put on Christ, there's no longer circumcised and uncircumcised, Jew or Gentile, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. Now, in Christ, those categories no longer matter to us like they matter to the world because Christ is all and is in all who belong to him. Paul teaches us the same truth in 2 Corinthians 5, 13 through 19. He says, if we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. In other words, what Paul's getting ready to say is kind of crazy. Sounds, sounds crazy to people. He says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ this way, in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. See, the old creation and the old humanity cannot be reconciled to God. So God did something drastic. He killed off the old humanity and created a new humanity in Christ. In Christ, we become a part of the new creation. And this is why Jesus said, I am the way to the Father, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Because only those who get attached to and stay attached to Christ in the church can be brought back to the Father. You know, it's truly sad that so many professing Christians have never been taught this truth. We still view life through the lens of the old creation and still see things from a worldly point of view. So we still get into debates and take sides based on race and nationality, political parties, and other worldly things. But the truth is, when we're in Christ, those debates are not for us. In Christ, we're literally above all those things. Because in Christ, we're seated with him in heavenly places. And our citizenship is a heavenly kingdom. So we got to understand, no matter what race or religion, nation or political party people belong to, well, if they're not in Christ, well, they're all a part of the old creation that is passing away. They're all in the same boat. Whether they're Asian or black or white or any color in between, from atheists to agnostics to Zoroastrists, every and every religion in between, from Democrats to Republicans, from liberals to conservatives, outside of Christ, everyone is in the same spiritual boat. And that boat is a sinking ship. And everyone aboard that ship will one day be drowned in the lake of fire. So we need to stop wasting time debating and taking sides over worldly things. Our focus has got to be on the things above and on the world to come. So we got to live like we truly believe our kingdom is not from here. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we've got to learn to live in this reality in Christ, in the church. We're a part of a new creation, a new race, and a new nation. 
And it's this new nation Paul has in mind in Colossians 3.12 when he calls the saints in Colossae God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Now, this phrase, God's chosen ones, it confuses a lot of people. Some translations here will say God's elect. And this word, it communicates the concept of being chosen by God or being a part of God's chosen people. Now, does this mean that God chooses some people to be his people and he does not choose others to be his people? Does it mean that? It absolutely means it. Absolutely means it. it does mean that. Does this also mean that human beings have no choice or play no role in becoming a part of God's chosen people? Well, let's look at some scriptures to answer that question. Now, in the Old Testament, only Abraham's physical descendants, the Hebrews, who later became the nation of Israel, only they were God's chosen people. As Moses says in Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8, For you are a a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So here clearly we see that the Lord chose only the nation of Israel and separated them from all other nations of the earth. He did this to make them his treasured possession. So only the Jews are a holy people separated to God, separated by God to be his holy people. The Hebrews are the chosen race through which the Lord would have a relationship with humanity and bring blessings and salvation to the world. So to be one of God's elect or one of God's chosen under the old covenant, a person had to be born an Israelite and keep the commands of the covenant God gave his people. Now, what about a person who was not born an Israelite? Could they become a part of God's elect? Well, absolutely. Non-Jews were always encouraged to become one of God's chosen people. And how would they do this? Well, by committing themselves to live by the Lord's commands and keep the Lord's covenant. We see an example of this in uh, Exodus 12, 43 through 44. We read this, And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it, but every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. Jumping down to Exodus 20, 12, 48, we read this, If a stranger shall, shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. So the Passover was an annual celebration that reminded the Lord's chosen covenant people how the Lord saved them from slavery and death in the land of Egypt. And he did this so that they could be his people and worship him. And only those who were part of God's chosen covenant people could eat that covenant meal. But as we just saw in these verses, both foreign slaves owned by Jews and any foreigner who lived in the land, the land of Israel, could eat that meal. But they could only do so if they would become a part of God's covenant people. And how could they do that? Well, by being circumcised 
and committing themselves to live by the commands of the Lord's covenant. So if anyone from any nation did that, they would be treated just like someone who was born an Israelite, someone who was born a Jew. In other words, under the old covenant, all people could become a part of God's chosen, holy, and beloved people by becoming a part of the nation of Israel. Now, under the new covenant, we've still got to become a part of the nation of Israel to be God's chosen people. But the terminology and the promises that were once applied to physical Israelites and national Israel are now applied to Christ and his church. See, in the New Testament, we learn this is what the Old Testament was pointing to all along. That God has always wanted Jews and Gentiles, slave and free, educated, uneducated, people from every race and tribe, from every language and nation. God has always wanted them to be connected as one holy family, one holy nation, and one holy body under the one Lord, Jesus Christ, in the church. That was the point of the Old Testament was leading, leading up to this. Now, this is not the popular view. What I'm getting ready to say is not the popular view. And many teach that the church and the nation of Israel are two separate entities. But that is not the historic view of the church, and I believe it's not the correct view. Now, I believe the New Testament teaches that the church is the new Israel. And one of the clearest passages that teaches us this truth is Galatians 6, 14 through 16. There Paul says this. He says, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule to the Israel of God. Now notice Paul again mentions the fact that neither neither circumcision or uncircumcision means anything. Those things that, that... Those things belong to the old world, the old creation that was crucified with Christ. See, all that counts now is the new creation. The old is gone. The new is here. And all that matters now is being a part of the new creation, which Paul calls the Israel of God. And this is the dominant theme in Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, and Colossians. In Christ, God created a new Israel by creating a new humanity in Christ. See, when Christ came, everything the Old Testament was pointing to, every promise that God had given national Israel as God's chosen people, well, those promises are now being fulfilled in Christ, in the church, which is the Israel of God. And this is what Paul means when he calls the saints in Colossae God's chosen people. He means that through their connection with Christ in the church, whether they're Jews or Gentiles, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, in Christ, they're all a part of God's chosen people. And it's the same with us. In Christ, we become a part of the chosen race of holy humans in the second Adam. Through our union with Christ and his body in the church, everyone can become a part of God's chosen, holy, and beloved people. Everyone can be a part of the Israel of God. So I'm going to ask this question again. Does God choose who will and who will not be one of his people? Well, the answer to that question is yes. But does this mean none of us has any choice whether or not we'll be a part of God's chosen people? Well, the answer to that question is no. See, everyone from every nation can choose to become one of God's 
chosen people by being united to the new Israel, the new Jerusalem, in the church. And here's one of the most important parts of it. When we do that, we have to commit ourselves to obey the commands and decrees of the covenant God gives us through Jesus. And if that sounds strange to us, if it sounds like some new gospel, it's only because we've been taught to focus on the wrong things. We've been taught that the gospel is primarily about forgiveness of sins and having our sins covered. But the main message of the gospel is the good news that Christ came not to patch up or cover up our old lives. No, Christ came, his life, his death, and his resurrection were much more dramatic than that, much more life-changing than that. Christ came to do away with the old humanity through the cross and create a new humanity in himself. Christ came to make sinners into saints. See, the main message of the Scriptures with the core of the gospel is Jesus became like us so that through our union and communion with Jesus in the church, we can share in his divine nature and have the image of God restored in us. So just as Jesus bears the image of God, we, we who are his brothers and sisters will also bear the image of God. So whoever puts on Christ in Christian baptism becomes chosen, holy, and beloved by the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when the Scriptures say we are God's beloved, it means God has a great affection for us, what some will call a familial affection. In other words, God has a special love for his people. It's a love that he does not have for the rest of the world. Now, yes, God does love the world. We hear that constantly, right? God loved the world. and Everybody knows John 3.16, God loved the world. God showed that love by sending his son to die for the world. And God continues to show his love for the world by providing his enemies with everything they need. God brings the blessings of sunshine and rain on the just and the unjust. So God does love the world. But God has a special affection for all who become a part of this royal race of holy humans, his sons and daughters in Christ. God loves us in a special way. In Christ, this is really great language, in Christ we're God's treasured possession. In Christ, we're God's chosen, holy, and beloved people. Now, do we think of ourselves that way? Do we think of ourselves as the treasured possession of God? It's time we learn to think of ourselves and speak of ourselves the way that God thinks of us and speaks of us. Now, as I said earlier, God wants all his chosen people, every member of the church, God wants us all to wear the same church clothes. And Paul tells us the clothes God wants us to wear in Colossians 3.12. He says, put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Now here Paul tells us there are at least five layers of church clothing we must put on every day. And before anybody panics, it took us a long time to get to where we are here, and five points does sound like a lot, but we're going to go rapid fire through these so that it won't take us too long. So the first layer of church clothing we must put on is we must put on compassion. Now, when we put on compassion, it makes us others-focused. It causes us to yearn to meet the needs of others. As Paul says in Philippians 2.4, it causes each of us to look not only to his own interest, 
but also to the interest of others. Compassionate people enter into the lives and especially into the suffering of others and share their burdens. The compassionate heart causes us to put the needs of others ahead of our own, just like Jesus did. The second layer of church clothing we must put on is we must put on kindness. The Greek word behind the word kindness carries all kinds of different meanings. It means to be warm-hearted, considerate, gentle, and benevolent. It means to be happy, friendly, and morally good. The kind person is a blessing to others and a pleasure to be around. When we clothe ourselves with kindness, we will do good to and make ourselves useful to everyone around us. The third layer of church clothing, see, I thought you were going to go faster. The third layer of church clothing we must put on is we must put on humility. Humility. You know, many Christians seem to think humility means we should talk bad about ourselves and beat ourselves up. Many walk around looking and acting like Eeyore. You all know who Eeyore is, right? Eeyore is that donkey from Winnie the Pooh. See him on the screen there, right? We walk around like, woe is me. I'm no good, and I'll never do anything good. I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. You know what? That is not humility. What that is is depression, and it's depressing to be around people who are like that, right? So remember, the layer of clothing we put on before humility is kindness. And that character, the character quality of kindness makes us happy and a pleasure to be around. So true humility is not about beating ourselves up. It's about having a right opinion of ourselves, not thinking of or portraying ourselves as better than we truly are, not being proud or arrogant or boastful. So when we clothe ourselves with humility, we will never think or act as if we're better than anyone else. But the fourth layer of Christian clothing we must put on is we must put on meekness. What is meekness? Meekness is gentleness. It's being moderate in the way we act and react to others. See, a meek person will never try to draw any attention to themselves or insist on their own way. When we put on meekness, we'll be mild-mannered, even-tempered, and have our emotions and impulses under control. The fifth piece of church clothes, clothing we must put on is we must put on patience. And the word patience is, is really not a strong enough word for what, what the Greek means here. The ideal here is forbearing or bearing with one another. If someone does something wrong to us, they harm us in some way, we patiently endure or we suffer long with their Ill, Ill treatment without retaliation. And that last part is the most important part, without retaliation. If somebody does us wrong and we lash out at them, cuss them out, things like that, that's not a good thing. When we suffer along with people, when we're patient with them, we suffer along with them without retaliating. Now, Paul makes this clear as he defines what he means by patience in Colossians 3.13. He says, put on patience by bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So when we put on patience, we will be eager to overlook and forgive any offense we may suffer at the hands of others. 
And this is a reminder that although we are all being perfected in Christ, well, we're still all, that work has not been completed in, in us yet, right? We're all still a work in progress. And we understand that others, just like us, they have room to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus. So we bear with one another. We cut each other some slack. We give one another room to grow in the Christian life. And this is, after all, what the Lord Jesus does for all of us. The Lord is our ultimate example of what it looks like to be patient. He suffers long with our stubbornness, stupidity, and spiritual slothfulness. The Lord puts up with a lot of our nonsense, and he cuts us some slack and gives us room to grow. And to be like him, we must do the same for one another. Now, we do, need, we do need to balance this with other scriptures. This does not mean that we don't correct one another in love. The leaving room for one another to grow does not mean that we allow our brothers and sisters in Christ who are engaged in soul-destroying sins, doesn't mean that we continue to allow them to continue in those sins and just hope that they grow out of it. If you're committing adultery, you're not going to grow out of that. You need to turn away from that. Stop doing it like today. You can't, I'm not going to wait for you to grow out. We need to correct one another when we see each other destroying, destroying our lives through soul-destroying sins. See, the same Lord who commands us to patiently bear with one another also commands us to gently confront and correct our brothers and sisters in Christ. So on the big sins, the sins that will, lead, that will keep people out of Christ's kingdom, we're to confront and correct one another. On the smaller sins, we're to bear with one another just as the Lord bears with us. And with any and every sin, if any of us has a complaint against another follower of Christ, well, we're to forgive, we're to forgive one another just as God forgives us. So that brings up this question, how does God forgive us? What John tells us in 1 John 1, 9, he says, if we confess our sins, he, talking about God, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if we confess our sins, which also implies that we want to turn away from those sins, we don't want to do those things anymore. If we confess our sins, God will forgive us. And God expects us to do the same for one another. And I want you to notice that Paul says we must forgive as the Lord forgives us. Why does Paul use such strong language? We must forgive. Why is that language so strong? Well, Jesus gives us the reason why we must forgive others as the Lord forgives us in Matthew 6, 14 through 15. Jesus says, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And in Mark eleven twenty five, Jesus says this, and whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. Here's another not popular teaching, but this is the truth. If we want the Lord to forgive our sins, then we must forgive those who sin against us. If we don't forgive others, God will not forgive us. That's directly from the mouth of the Lord Jesus. That doesn't need interpretation. We don't need any scholar to tell us that it means something other than what it means. If we do not forgive others, the Lord will not forgive us. But when we put on the godly garment of patience or forbearance, we will forgive as the Lord forgives. And we come now to the sixth and final layer we must put on to complete our church clothes ensemble. We must put on love. 
In Colossians 3.14, Paul concludes, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Now, the word above here can also be translated over or on top of. So what Paul's saying is love is like an overcoat that we put on top of all the other layers that he just mentioned. Love binds together all the other pieces of our church clothes. Paul describes this garment of love in more detail in 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7. He says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, this is nearly identical to what Paul's talking about in Colossians. When we put on the garment of love, we'll have a heart of compassion for others. We'll live in humility. We'll never boast or be arrogant or rude to one another. We'll be meek, kind, and patient with others, never insisting on our own way. We'll endure all things for the sake of others, and we'll always be eager to forgive as the Lord forgives. So as we close, let's all make sure we keep putting on our church clothes. Let's put on compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And over all these, let's put on love, which binds our church clothes together, and which binds us together as the church in perfect unity and harmony and the one body of our Lord Jesus Christ. Today and every day, let's keep putting on our church clothes. Let's all stand for prayer. Father, we thank you for giving us your word, so that by hearing and obeying your word, we may live lives that are worthy of you, so we may please you in every way. Lord, give us the grace to continually put on our church clothes so that the world may see your holy image in us. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Tell me about that. So they're going to sing this final song, and um, I'm going to speak the Lord's blessing over you before they do it. The Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen. This is my day.
This is the end.